On today's episode, we have a great story for you. You're going to have to listen to this start to finish. You may have to listen to it a couple of times because it's got a lot of messages in it. My name is Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. Hi, my name is Jim Martin. And before we get started today, I just wanted to let you know that the the show is made up on a model of advertising and um, support from listeners like you to make the whole thing work. And you'll hear some ads in here and we already have some listener support. We certainly need more. So if you like what we're doing, you find value in it, consider supporting the show. Just drop by the website www.adventureriderradio.com and click on the support button. Thanks very much. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. And the Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll fill your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. It's made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hickstead. Dr. Gregor W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Michelle Lanfear. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Brett Tatt. Zoe Cano. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Rock. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. Tina Marie Austin. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. And that has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com The MotoBreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm, which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil. www.motobreeze.com. That's two eyes in there. www.motobreeze.com. I'm Jim Martin. Today's episode is about motorcycles, travel, and time. My name is Tina Marie Austin, and I'm from Oak Hills, California, 
and I'm currently working as a software implementation manager. Gina Marie, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. You ride a uh, Yamaha TW200. What is a TW200? TW200 is a Colt bike, and it's known for its fat tire. The, the rear tire is really fat. Um, Yamaha developed it back in 1987, and they have not done much modification to it. It was a great starter bike, and it just became the favorite bike to ride. It's like a little mule. It can go everywhere and anywhere at a nice, slow pace. And, and they have a bit of a cult following, I know. But one of the things that I read about it was people were saying it's horrible off-road. Do you find that? No, actually, I disagree. It handles sand way better than bigger bike because it can plow through the sand. And, um, and it's a forgiving bike because you can go slow. Um, it's a great learner's bike, and it's forgiving. It, can, it allows you to be in the first gear, and it doesn't complain. It doesn't stall out. You can just... But um, when I started learning how to ride bike again, I mean, I rode as a child, just little off-road stuff, but nothing major, because um, I was tired of, you know, looking at the back of my late husband's head, and I said, I want to learn to ride again. And, but being five foot, two inches, it's kind of a challenge to find a dirt bike. So I'm, as he say, I'm vertically challenged. So that was the smallest bike that we could find for me to fit, still tippy-toe to ride and um and then figure we'll graduate to a bigger bike as you know i learned how to ride but it just became a favorite and it handled sand nicely handled dirt nicely it's not that great on street it can be a little jarring on the street the vibration you ended up doing a, a, a ride uh, around the United States on your own, but I really want to go back because I think we really have to start at uh, at least a certain point in the story so the listener can mm-hmm. get an idea of what's happening. Eight years ago, you mentioned about getting tired of looking at the back of your husband's head. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about that. Well, you know, he I've been a motorcycle rider for a long time, and we would always ride two apps. We've, um, and we we we're a lover of outdoor and history. So we're always out, you know, exploring our desert areas out here in California. And, you know, you can only see so much when you're sitting at the two up. And, um, I finally just said, you know what, this is not where I want to be. I don't want to keep looking at the back of your head. And I said, I want to learn. Um, so, you know, he really helped me and coached me. And like I said, I'm vertically challenged. So there's a limitation of what bike, dirt bike I can ride. And so we found the TW200, and we bought a used off of Craigslist. Um, it was a 1987 model, the first bike was. And, um, and it was, I just started learning on the dirt road. And, um, and that bike had problems. The 1987 model was a bad year for the TW200 because the CDI kept going out. And so we found another one, and that's the bike I rode, na- rode on my trip. Um, that was a 91 TW200. It was that year, the color was the, what we call the Barbie purple. And um, so we, because we never were, we rode in groups or anything. And we were kind of, you know, the two of us go everywhere until we found the TW200 form. It's a, um, a, a website a forum where all the TW writers can get together and post questions and 
group ride and stuff like that. So we finally decided to do group ride. And mind you, I'm still a newbie on the motorcycle, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. I can get around. And we decided to do this group ride in Joshua Tree. And we did Burdu Canyon, which is a, a Jeep trail per se that will take you the back way into Joshua Tree National Park. Well, needless to say, I probably fell 30 times on that ride. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, hang on. You, you're, you have a handicap as well. What is your handicap? I, I'm hearing impaired. Um, I was born deaf. My mother um, had Gemma the when she was pregnant with me. And so I lost about 75% of my hearing. And um, so with that handicap, I can't hear the motorcycle. Um, so I can't hear you if can't I'm hear in the revving, right ear. You can't hear the, no. the tires hitting the ground, all that sort of stuff no. that we normally go by. Take for granted, yeah. So because you know on the dirt bike, the girl, you don't have a tachometer, so it tells you whether you when you need to shift gear. You can look at that. What I have to learn is the vibration of the bike, and that tells me when it's time to shift gear. Um, so being on the dirt, you know, that this group ride we were on, so I'm still learning when, especially in dirt, when you have sand and you have rocks and you have hills, um, you can hear whether the motor is over revving or you need to shift down or shift up. I didn't have that luxury. So there was time where I kind of over rev in certain places, which is why I crashed so many times or not have enough power to to get out of certain places. Because you and don't realize the engine's bogging down. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so on that trip, I broke every mirror, every light. I broke the throttle sleeve on that bike. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and I still finished the ride because my late husband, um, my husband, he... We called him the MacGyver motorcycle, and he was one of those person who can tell you um, what what other parts, that, other bikes that you can use to substitute if you can't find a part for your bike, and he can um, fix anything and become creative. And sure enough, he fixed that throttle sleeve. It was halfway through the ride when I broke it, and we got it to work, and I was able to finish that ride. And here he, I, I have a picture of him working on it, trying to piece it all back together so it would still work um but and so that's the love of the tw 200 the the commodity of these people um because it's just a cult bike it's just a fun little bike nobody's rushing nobody's in a hurry and it's just about enjoying the scenery it's about the commodity of the group and um we just had a blast, and that just started our love affair. That little TW two hundred. It's like uh, a it's like a little mini bike, isn't it? I mean, it's got that big yeah. fat tire on it, especially in the back. It's a very fat tire on it, and it looks it like a mini bike on steroids. Exactly, it does, and it is, and you can actually customize it if you Google. Uh, it's big in Japan, believe it or not, and they do all kind of modifications to the bike. They make it like cafe racers, they, and so it's really big in Japan. And it's kind of, you know, it's just like, oh yeah, I rode that bike once, and now people are like, I wish I kept it. But here, it's it's got a good following, good group of people. Your husband ended up getting one as well, didn't he? He did. He actually ended up getting over time. We had 11 of them. (laughs) 
Wow. So here you, you got into the cult following the TW200. Did you end up planning a big trip? Is that what happened? We ended up planning a honeymoon. And um, Hang on, but you're already married. Actually, at that time, no, we weren't. Oh, you weren't. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> well, let me give you the long story about that one. Um, my husband and I dated for 15 years before we even got married. We actually didn't even live together for those 15 years. Wow. Um, you know, I was a single mom with two kids, and he was very respective of the children's father. So we had a, and I traveled a lot for work. For I, you know, I worked for the software industry that catered to the financial industry, and so I was always traveling, training, and stuff, and that. And so we both lived um, very independent lives, and it worked for us. And I was able to raise my kids and do my job, and he did his work. And on the weekend, we would get together and and have our, you know, like a normal relationship on the weekend. And, um, and it worked for us until, I don't know, one point a day, he sat down and said, um, why do we have two separate houses? I go, I don't know. It worked, you know. He said, well, I think it's time for us to be a family. So he proposed, and that was his proposal <laughs> to get married. <laughs> and so in 2011, we got married. Um, so And then I moved in sold everything at my house and moved in with him and we for our honeymoon went on our TW 200 and we did route 66 and we only made it to New Mexico before we turned around. So the TW 200 riding that bike, do you find that that because it's slow, obviously compared to a larger motorcycle, does that add to the adventure or has it become a bit of a pain in the butt because you're so slow? Uh, I think it adds to the adventure because you know, the bigger bike, it's all about going as fast as you can. And to me, you miss so much by that. The, the top speed on that bike is between 55 and 65 miles an hour. And so you're limited. You can't just hop on the freeway, which I can. I've done it. But you're really forced to take the side road. And there's so much to see on the side road that you can quickly take that detour when you see that shiny object and, and veer to the right or to the left. I thought it was better. You got to enjoy so much more. You got to see so much more. But for those adrenaline junkies, it may not be the bike for them. For me, I don't care about the adrenaline. I care about the uniqueness and the um, the culture and the history of people, places, and things. And that bike was just perfect for that kind of trip. What What was the next plan? Our next, well... Things happened in the middle of that. Um, after our honeymoon, his uh, sister got cancer, and we ended up being her caregiver um, for about a year. And um, then, and then his mother fell and broke her hip, and so we ended up being her caregiver. So our life together, we just gotten married, we just finished the honeymoon, and things just kind of happened. You know, life gets in the way, and you know, mm-hmm. things happen. You just roll with it. Um, so. You know, after finally, when her his mother was well enough to be back home, taking care of herself, we finally said, you know, we need a mental health break, and we discovered the Horizon Unlimited event, and we're like, oh, let's do that, and you know, because we did that little honeymoon short trip, and we had a blast, and we wanted to do more, and we decided, you know, when we retire, we're gonna travel by bike, and that Horizon Unlimited event just 
just broaden and open our eyes to even more what we can do and places we can go and and stories that we heard and we were just so excited about that and we couldn't come back wait to come back and do more short trip and all that kind of stuff and um we wanted to and from that trip uh, event we also wanted to develop a an event for the tw 200 too, kind of you know show them what horizon unlimited is all about but do it in smaller scale with their little tw 200 we met some forum members on the way back from cambria it's about four hours drive from our house. Um, so we were all excited about that. Uh, when we got back from the trip, we both got sick because, you know, Cambria is the, it's on the coast and it's very foggy and we're the desert kind of people. We like hot heat and stuff. And we thought, well, it's just got a cold. I got better. He didn't. Um, after several doctor appointment and you know they thought we had a pneumonia cold and medication wasn't working and I I finally took him to my doctor because we just weren't getting the answer why he wasn't getting better and uh, discovered he had stage four lung cancer and three weeks later he passed away I'm really sorry to hear that Thank you. You know, it's a blessing in disguise. He didn't have to suffer long. Um, his choices after, you know, taking care of his sister who died of ovarian cancer and her battle, year-long battle with chemo, he made the ultimate decision because he was already at stage four that he didn't want to put that me through that. And he didn't want to... He, Bottom line, the doctor said, you know, you can prolong your life with chemo, but you'll be sick all the time or enjoy the quality of life you have now and go with it. And that's what he chose. He'd rather have the quality of life with his family. He has a very large family. He has seven brothers and sisters. And um, so he chose that route and um, let the cancer consume him. And so when he was, because he was a very claustrophobic kind of man, (laughs) Um, he's a very colorful historist himself. Before that, I I need to back up a second here to tell you a little about him too. And um, he was, you know, a man who never had kids, never been married until we got married back in 2011. And he was a cowboy. And um, he's always had horses, always rode horses, um, always loved adventures and history. And actually, back in 19, oh gosh, when was it? 1993, yeah. He rode his horse across the United States. Wow. Yeah. Um, He's following Route 66. And, um, you know, he just got fed up with the corporate rat race and quit his job, and took his two horse on a ride across the United States. Um, think, and the reason I'm telling you this story, because I, I finally learned after my trip, the parallel of our, relate, our travel, sort of. His travel was supposed to be long, and he was supposed to do it all about 
six as well. And um, he ran out of money after six months, um, you know, feeding horses, trying to find water. It, and it, you can only go about 20 miles a day on a horse. And um, it just took a lot longer than he planned. So he turned around and, and came back on his trip and, you know, got back in the corporate world and stuff like that. But he just, that's the type of man he was. And so he, 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 his love for outdoors. It was funny because when we were married, he would sleep outside more than he'd sleep inside of the house. It just, <laughs> that's how he was. It, 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 he'd be sleeping in the bed of the truck, on the bench outside. He just, he did not like being indoor at all. And, and I get it. I understand it. And I can relate now um, after my trip. But so he didn't want to have hospital at home, but he was too claustrophobic at the hospital. And I finally made the ultimate decision to defy his wishes. And I brought him home, which made him much more calmer and much more relaxed. Uh, the anxiety of being enclosed and knowing you don't have much time to live um, just took a toll on him. And so when I brought him home, we got him all set up for hospice. You know, the hospice care came in, brought bed and medicine and machines, everything we needed to make him comfortable for his remaining days. And he sat me down and he said, you know, this this house is the money pit. <laughs> we were in the middle of renovating our house. We had the kitchen torn out. We were redoing the whole entire kitchen, putting new cabinets in, new sink and everything. Um, so when he got sick, his brothers and sister came and put the kitchen back together temporarily just to functional while he's home for hospice. Life is too short. You know, that dream of ours that we wanted to, when we retire, travel the world on a motorcycle. He said, do it now. Sell the house, sell everything, and do it now. So that was my promise to him. And that's why I took on this journey. And this journey, this motorcycle journey, was going to be about experience, strength, and hope. And I was going to share my story about experience, strength, and hope and about how life is too short, that we are so focused on, you know, we at the study are taught, got to go to college, then you got to get the house with the white picket fence, then you have to have your two and a half kids, and you got to have, you know, certain promotion jobs, certain cars, all these item and you gotta got make so much money before you can retire so you can retire comfortably all for what you know in the end we have nothing to show for it really because we're so busy making money to pay for stuff that we can't afford to begin with <laughs> so we focus on the things that are that are really not important. However, we think they're more important, and only it seems like, in the end, you 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 start to realize. I think as even as we get older, you start to realize that. Wait a second here. You know what is life supposed to be about? I'm I'm not feeling that that same connection with things. At least some of us do, anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, we get so caught up in it. I think we forget to think about that, or we yeah. forget to stop and smell. You know, you got to stop and smell the roses every now and then. And they think that having all the toys and the, the, you know, the side-by-side, the trailer, the toy hauler, the 
the house, the biggest house you can get, it's going to make us happy. In reality, it doesn't. You know, we have to make ourselves happy. So and we got to enjoy do? life. So what I did, I made my promise. I um, sold the house. Um, and here's an interesting thing. I'm gonna, I need to share this because I don't think a lot of people understand. And Jim, you're in Canada, right? That's correct, yeah. So you probably have different rules than we do. And it depends. California is the community property state. And, um, you know, Russ and I got married in 2011, and he passed away in 2013. So we've only been married two years. Um, so at the time, again, we as a society think we have time for everything. We just never finished consolidating all of the paperwork into both of our names. Um, you know, because I moved into his house. I sold mine, moved into his, and we were going to get around to all that. But California is a community property state, and that the fact that he died without a will, I had to go through probate. Even though I'm legally married to him, because he died without a probate, and my name was not on everything yet, um, and it's a community property state, that means I, the estate had to be divided into two living generations which meant his parent and I were divided with this. Um, luckily, his parents were very understanding. Um, I was the breadwinner of this relationship, so I, even though it was his house, I paid for most of this stuff. And um, they also knew he was a bit of a hoarder. I, you know, I had to close an estate with, uh, two and a half acres of stuff with, we had 30 motorcycles, seven cars, five trailers. I had five donkeys, uh, just two, two and a half acres of stuff that I had, to, you know, to sell off. And cause I, I mean, I could pick and choose and prove that some of these were mine, but I, because of the probate and the estate, I had to sell everything off anyway. And I don't wish that on anybody. I am a big, you know, a, a, when I share my story, I always tell people, have all your affair in order. I, I, some people are just afraid to because, yeah, death is a scary thing. It's a scary thing. thing, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to and deal with it. You don't want to talk about the inevitable, really. We want to pretend is. that it's not going to happen to us for some reason. It's, it's strange. Mm -hmm. but, but so even though you were entitled to half of it, they, they're still saying you're forced to sell everything. Yeah, I, you're, you've got to close the update and you've got to prove to the court system. You have to go to court, go in front of a judge. You have to get a lawyer and list all the assets. They come to your house and verify that's the asset you have. Um, <laughs> it's not a pretty thing, you know. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, but I would have had to justify it justified why I'm keeping it in exchange for something else. And so, and then I had to prove that that was mine and not his to begin with. And there's just so much to it. And plus, you know what? I was going to do this journey and I kept my promise. So I just, when you travel on the road and yeah, I could save everything, come back to a house. But I didn't know what I wanted to do anymore. I mean, when I look, when he passed away, I was working 60 hours a week for a corporate job. I was traveling all the time and, you know, what corporate expects of me. And I was done with that. I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. Life's too short to 
not enjoy it. And I want to be able to just take off on the motorcycle anytime I want to. If I do come back, I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I just knew I just need to go and live in the moment. So I sold everything off and it took me about eight months. And to this day, the probate attorney said, I still can't believe you did that in eight months. I mean, I had five garage sales, three swap meet, and I had a brother-in-law who, you know that show that Thor's for? He's the king of that. I mean, even before that show became popular. And so he's the swap meet guy. So he was a godsend. I probably would have put everything in a pile and just lit the matches because it was just so overwhelming. And he would just, every weekend he knew what to put out. And actually, because I was underbidding everything, and he's like, I said, well, I just want to get rid of it. He's like, no, you need to make money. I said, well, I just don't want to deal with it. So he took over. He took care of our garage sale. I just stood there, collected the money, and looked pretty. Um, it wasn't for him. I would have never made it. And But it took me about eight months, closed the estate out, gave my notice to work. And I the reason I chose May to start off on my trip was that that was our um, anniversary. And then my first stop was the Overland Expo. So I was going to start there. And my goal was, because I love history, there's 11 new old roads in the United States, U.S. roads. And um, my mission was to travel all 11 of them, um, like U.S. Highway 1, U.S. Highway 66, U.S. Uh, Route 2, Route 6, um, and so I, I had all this plan to travel on that those roads. Yeah. In the meantime, you know, I just did little trips, just practice. I, you know, I think the biggest challenge for me was you don't realize how much you take your partner for granted. Um, you know, when we travel on a motorcycle, we each had our set duties. He did his. He was the mechanical guy. He loved, you know, getting his hand dirty, working on the bike. He's always tinkering. Um, it's the reason why we had 30 motorcycle. I, he would always see a project and something he would turn around. I mean, I had, we had Vespa. We had um, Goldwing, the old Goldwing with the sidecar. I mean, I had people coming all over far and wide for some of the stuff we had because he was going to, you know, turn around and fix them up and sell it because he loved tinkering with that. Um, so when I went to get ready for my trip, I had to learn how to do all that. And I, you know, he would show me, but he would never let me do it on my own. We have very different ways of learning. Everybody does, you know, some are hands-on, some are read, some hear it. Sure. I'm a hands-on person. I got to do it and for it all click together. Um, so, you know, I think that was my biggest challenge. Uh, you know, my first short trip, I went to Horizon Unlimited again, and I um, met up with the Adventure Trio. We were going to ride part you remember, the, you interviewed the Adventure Trio? Yeah, we had them on the show, yeah. The, well, Borden, the Borden family. The Borden family. When they left for their trip to South America, I started off with them. So we left Horizon Unlimited together. Well, hang on a second. And they're they're riding big BMWs. You're riding along your, your little TW200 with them. Yeah, I was right behind them. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And they knew that. I said, I can't keep up with you guys. So we're not fast. We're not going fast. You know, I can't. I done, we done some modification to my bike where 
I can go 65 comfortably not, and I'm not winding out. You know, changing the sprocket sizes and stuff like that mm-hmm. allows me to adjust the gearing. And so I can do 65 comfortably. I'm not winding the bike out. So it, it works. Um, but I didn't get to, to go very far with them. We got through Tioga t- Pass through Yosemite and I broke down. I broke my throttle cable. And um, so I didn't want to hold up their trip and let the, and plus the storm was coming in. I got snowed in in Yosemite. I had to hunker down. The ranger came. We couldn't get a tow truck up there to get my bike. And the ranger took me to an area where I can set up a tent and hunker down for the night until the snowstorm passed through. So I got snowed on. We left my bike in the middle of nowhere. Just There was no way to do it. And um, until I could get my son, who came up eight hours later to come pick me up so we can haul my bike back home and fix it. And, um, you know, I just got on a YouTube video and just learned how to change a throttle cable. And I just did it, you know, kept watching the YouTube over and over and finally found the pattern, found the logic of how it works. And, and you know, and I wish I kind of knew that beforehand because I could have probably rode out because you can kind of flip the throttle backward and you can make it go one way, not have the dual throttle. But I didn't know it, you know. I mean, it is what it is, and it was a good learning curve for me. And it taught me, well, I really need to know how to change the tires, replace the chain. Um, A lot of the stuff on the bike was old. It was all spare parts. So it's like, okay, there's a lot more things I need to do to get ready for this trip. So what would you do? You you end up fixing it up more and then heading out again? Yeah, well, I I fixed it up more, did more modification. so that was Horizon Limited in September. So I was planning to go in May. So I did a bunch of, oh, I did Baja. I met up with, in February, no, in December, I went with a friend um, to Baja, to a deaf camp, or a deaf school in Baja, California, and met with the church and the organization and met with the kids and shared my story and kind of do a test run more. Um and learn, like, oh, I need to do this. It's just all the dry run just to figure out what worked, what didn't work, and stuff like that. And so May came around, I finally just put my life in a 10 by 10 storage of the things I couldn't get rid of, you know, childhood, my kids' stuff, my stuff, some antique stuff I had that I just couldn't part with. Um, you know, pack and repack, figure out what worked, what didn't work on what I needed for the trip. In May, I just, I took off to Overland Expo. Went there first. I met up with another fellow rider, um, Mike. Yeah, Mike. Um, he wasn't doing well, but I, I met up with him. And we talked quite a bit on our trip and um, did Overland. I did a presentation on small bike travel there. And it, that year, Overland was, Nickname is Snowballin. So something about snow and me. I, I don't know what it is. It snowed on us. The joke, and it was muddy attack. That we wore our motorcycle boots the whole time, and our coat the whole time. It was just muddy and snowy the whole. So we did the Apache Trail because um, Mike knew my love for history and stuff. So we did the Apache Trail after the Overland, and plus it was warmer that way. 
Um, I had time to kill before I hit some of the major road that I wanted to do because I wanted to be back in California for a couple of events. Um, one is I'd been heavily involved in a, ch- a children organization that um, has severely abused and neglected children. And so we do a fundraiser every year it's called the Rubber Duck Race. And it's, so I wanted to make sure that I come, you know, come back in time for that. So I did the Apache Trail. Mike and I went our different ways. I went down to Baja and stayed with some friends down there and kind of traveled Baja for a little bit before coming back up through California because my goal was to do Pacific Coast Highway, Highway 1, as my first road. And um, and then another stop I did was a after Russ passed away, we did a TW memorial ride in Santa Margarita, California every year. We camp with a weekend. It's a, a center of California, which allowed Northern California people and Southern California people to get together just to talk about him. And he was the, you know, like I said, he was the guru of that TW 200. I mean, guys, guys would call him 24-7 and they want to modify or they need to fix something. They can't find a part. And I, he just, like I said, the MacGyver uh, motorcycle. He can tell you how to fix it, which way. And he kept that form in, in about the TW200. He was the guy that he can keep it that level. And he was the number one poster. Uh, you know, they used to have a little ticker who was the number one poster of that form. And he was like at 7,375, which sometime you'll see that number when I um, – they, when he passed away, one of the guys designed a logo because his nickname was Lither Breath on the forum. They called him Lither Breath um, because he was the desert geek. And um, so they created a, 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 a Lither with his number on it. And people always ask, what's that number for? I go, that was the last post he ever posted on the TW200. And uh, anyway, so we did a memorial ride and I met up there before I continue on my journey. I did Pacific Coast Highway, um, and but I'll tell you this: if you're ever going to do Pacific Coast Highway, always go from the north to the south, never from the south to the north. Because um, about Oregon, I cut over because I got tired. Well, when I did it in high season, summer season, uh, so all the um, the place the the lookout points that stuff were on my left. And because it was high season, nothing but RVs left and right. And you oh, just could right. not turn couldn't left. turn left. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, exactly. that's one of those things you would not think of until you have to experience it. Exactly. <laughs> and, it's, and it's one after another after another, and it's got to get pretty frustrating. It did. And then about 3 o'clock, when you're tired after your ride, uh, towards the end, figuring out where you need to camp, it's when the headwind comes in. So you're fighting headwind. It's 3 o'clock. You're fighting headwind. You're ready to find your next stop where you're going to camp. I just got about Oregon. I'm like, I'm done with this. <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> so a, a fellow um, adventure rider say, hey, I'm in Oregon. I'll meet up with you. And I'll ride part of it. But I know this great trail because I told him I want to get off of Highway 1. Um and so, so we did, and we did the Bear Coastal Road, awesome little road. It's all dirt, and um, 
twisty. It's fun. And there's a little town there that you can't even get to unless by boat. Luckily, being on a motorcycle, we can take the dirt road, but it's not passable by car. But there's a town there. And I ha- when we got there, we happened to meet an older lady, um, the, the owner of the store, the, the little cafe, post office cafe. It's everything all in one because it's a tiny little town that's only accessible by boat. And one of the early residents happened to be there taking her grandkids, great-grandkids, to show them where she grew up. And I got to hear her story about living there and how they got their mail and how they had to go by boat to go to school and everything. It was just an amazing experience just to meet these people that you would never imagine. And it was the best cinnamon roll and blueberry pie there. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a road you must travel, but you got to do it by bike. And it's cool. Um, so that was fun. And I, so I ended up doing Oregon do, um, I did Crater Lake and all that stuff. And, um, and met up with the tour tech. I got invited by tour tech. The, the lady, the tour tech wanted me to give a presentation about my journey. So I met up with them and stayed there for the weekend. Um, now tour tech doesn't sell a lot of parts for your bike though. No, <laughs> no. Um, so it, it's an interesting atmosphere, um, but that probably tour tech was one of my first uh, adventure on that trip. Um, I was going to do the sweep on a, a group ride uh, because I'm slow, so I'll just sweep. I'm fine with that. Um, some of these girls who've never done beamers on a dirt road, so. In case they break down, I'm there with them. And I actually broke down. My chain broke. Mm. Like, God dang it. So the first time I ever had got towed by another bike. I have never done that before. So that was an interesting experience for me. And um, because being tour truck doesn't have parts for my bike, it was hard to find chain for my bike. <laughs> so uh, luckily, the Wenanachi Power Sport Company had a, a crew coming up to bring more stuff for their vendors booth um she they happened to have a chain for my bike there at the store so i had to wait a couple hours for them to bring up the chain for me and um i went to go pay for it and these guys heard about my story about my trip and they paid for my part and um very nice and here i am just sitting down um putting the chain on my bike and the guys would just stand around watching me do it. I'm like, guys, this changing chain. They're like, no, we're not that you're doing it. (laughs) I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So luckily, you know, I already had practice replacing the chain. So I got to do it, got to put it together and it worked out well. An interesting (sighs) turning point for me there too, with the TW200, Forum group, and I guess I became the um, the reality star, the celebrity among the TW two hundred that I was doing this journey, and I was originally going to do Pacific Coast Highway, and um, because I deviated, I got a little bit. Um, I'm trying to be polite, you know. I I love these guys. I I I get. 
the the cult. I get the what the love for the bike, what they wanted to do for me, but you know, that's when I really had to learn. It's all about the journey and not the destination. I think that's the turning point there, and they made it very uncomfortable for me um, because they were really hurt. Their feeling was hurt that I deviated because they were going to plan to meet up with me at the surprise and ride through Highway One through Washington. And I, you know, I'm in tears. I'm calling a friend. I said, "Who's another TW fellow TW rider?" And then what do I do? You know, I, he's like, the journey's for you. It's not for them. It's for you. And it's for you to, in honor of us. I don't want to sound weird. I, uh, let me pause for a second. One thing that I often learn when I ride my motorcycle, I can feel him riding with me that makes sense mm-hmm. his spirit with with me um i can feel that that wind behind me with him encouraging pushing me and it took a fellow rider um his nickname was running dog actually running dog and Russ were like little brothers with each other on the phone because it was all about the bike and they would call each other and play practical jokes that I finally called them. I said, what do I do? You know, these guys are giving me grief about that. I deviated from my original plan and you know, he, he had to remind me what is this all about? It's not for them. It's for you. And, um, for you to reconnect to, uh, you feel him, and that, and I discovered during on the trip, I couldn't stay very long at any places because I constantly wanted to be back on the bike to feel him next to me, to feel that wind, and um, I think you know that I don't want to call it a mistake, but that's probably one of the reasons why it took a toll on me on this trip but the, the like I said earlier the TW is not the greatest bike on a, on a street um, the, you know the knobby tires um, create a lot of vibration so it just took a toll on my hand with all that vibration and the constant need to always need to be on the bike to feel him I, I think I pushed myself too hard on this trip I should have taken more time more stop more break I was good about two, three days, and then I had to be back on the road. We're going to take a short break and be right back. And when we do come back, Gina Marie has a lot more for us, including what she considers to be the highlight of her trip. You know, the past few weeks, I've been kicking it with my IMS pegs. And I've told you before how much they've changed my ride, the added width, the traction and stability I get from them. And I find it interesting that when you look at the the size difference between the pegs that come on, say, like a 125cc bike and your large adventure bike, there's not a huge difference here. But when you think about the added leverage needed to, to steer your adventure bike, you know, to have it respond to your foot input, I'm talking standing here, then it makes you wonder why they just don't come with wider pegs to begin with. But as I've said before, you don't just go out and buy wider pegs, get pegs that are quality. IMS Products is known for its quality products. They make race products and they make a whole line of foot pegs for us adventure riders. Cast certified 17-4 stainless steel, certified heat treating, and they're all built in the USA. And they got a lifetime warranty. 
drop by their website, www.imsproducts.com. And anytime you're dealing with them, make sure you tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. That's www.imsproducts.com. Improving your riding skills for your adventure bike will not only improve your safety, but it's also going to enhance your experience. You know, like rather than sweating it every time you come to the rough stuff, or maybe even just turning back with the proper skills, once you learn them, you'll be able to go through that and enjoy the ride and not worry about it. Now, you've probably heard our rider skills segments on Adventure Rider Radio with Brett Tax. Well, Brett is one of the owners of PSSOR, that's Puget Sound Safety Off-Road Training. And they have a program that gets you out on an adventure. It gives you instruction at the same time. That's their Washington Backcountry Adventure Training. You go on the adventure with instructors and you learn in real world situations. Now, these are very popular adventures. As a matter of fact, July for this year is completely sold out. But in August, they've opened up another date. Um, and if you're quick, you might be able to get a spot to get out with them. It's a four day adventure that covers some of the backcountry discovery route. Drop by their website and grab your spot. www.pssor.com. That's www.pssor.com. And of course, anytime you're dealing with them, just mention that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. You had um, one interaction where you raced a small kid. Yeah. You know, a lot of people ask me what was the, the, my favorite place. And, you know, like, I, I try to stop at a lot of the natural monument, the national parks, um, historical site i'm always museum quirky museum um and so i was excited about checking out mount st helen because i remember as a child watching that on tv when it erupted and the devastation that it did i thought it'd be cool to see it up close and it's a long windy road up there um it i had to double back on that road at one point because I actually, I stopped to take a picture and I put the camera on the back of the bike, but I didn't put it back in the bag. And I realized that and the camera wasn't on the bike anymore. So I had to backtrack to find that camera. And uh, luckily I get back to the parking lot. The camera is still there. Thank God. Mm-hmm. And then I had to start all over again, go back up to Mount St. Helen and, um, and I get there, and I was kind of disappointed because you, when you get to the parking lot, and you look at Mount St. Helen, but it's so far away. So you can't really get a good, clear picture of the devastation that eruption did to Mount St. Helen. And so I'm just sitting there taking a break, stretching. Um, and there was this little boy, this redheaded little boy. Um, he's probably about maybe six or seven years old. Just. You can tell he wants to come up and talk to me, but he was so shy about it. So every time I look at him, he kind of runs away. So I try to be nonchalant, just leaning against my bike, eating snack um, to rehydrate myself before hitting the road again. And his mom decided to get his little John Deere tractor, so pedal bike, um, out of the back of the truck. And he got on it, 
and he pedaled up right next to me. And oh man, this kid lit up. Uh, he just asked me a million questions. It was just nonstop. It was so cute about everything about my bike, where I've been, how long I've been on the bike, why is it purple, and what did I name my bike? And he was just so excited. I actually named the bike. Um, the like I told you, the '91 with a Barbie purple color, and. Um, one of the things I did is put um, vinyl wrap on the bike because living in the desert, the plastic tends to dry rot and crack and brittle. And putting vinyl wrap on it, it protects the plastic. Mm. And even when, yeah, even when you crash, the vinyl wrap protects the plastic. Even the plastic crack, it still holds everything together. So it's one of the little cool tips to do to your bike. Well, I didn't you realize that. Yeah, because the sun just bakes it and, and bleaches it and ends up cracking it up. Right, exactly. And with the vinyl wrap, it can handle that. So I went with a purple camouflage to keep the the Barbie purple color. <laughs> and um, and so I nicknamed the bike Purple People Eater because I definitely was not going to call it Barney. Oh heck no! Grimmett, <laughs> <laughs> you know, from McDonald. Yeah, right. that's just not a cool name. So I remember the Purple People Eater from my generation. I thought, you know what? That's a cool because the head one eye headlight. One eye, purple people eater. There we go. Right. So, so for short, we call her purple. And so, so he was so excited that I named it after purple people eater. It had a name for her, and stuff. And you know, we were just talking about this and that, and and about you know the motorcycle and about his John Deere tractor. And and I go, I reached down to him. I said, Hey, do you want to have a race? Oh man, his eye just got really wide and he's like shaking his head and looking back at his parents going, can I, can I? (laughs) (laughs) So I, you know, turned on the bike and left it in neutral and just kind of revved the engine. And I just took my feet and I kind of pedaled the bike as he was pedaling his, and we just went around this entire parking lot. And as we were doing it, we were just starting to get a crowd of people on the outside of us, just taking pictures, cheering us on and like, Nobody cared about Mount St. Helen anymore, and they were just watching us. And I, of course, I let him win, and, and you know, we cheered him. I said, "Oh, we, you know, you won. We're gonna have to have a victory lap." So we did it again, and so, um, you know, we took the victory pictures and everything. And um, you know, I said, "Well, I need to get back on the road." And then I used the restroom. I just went into the used the restroom and freshen up and everything. When I came out, everybody was gone. Like, okay, we did our thing. Time to move on. The parking lot was empty, except for my bike with that. And I, something looked off when I, I was looking at my bike far away. I couldn't figure out what it was. And um, so I, I get closer and closer. I, I kid you not, my bike from the uh, handlebar all the way back to the rack was covered with granola bars, chips, Sandwiches, um, water, Gatorade, uh, power drinks, power bars, literally covered from people putting it left on my bike. And it was just, I know, it was just an amazing experience. To me, that was the epiphany of my trip. That, even though that was the beginning of my trip, but that's what the trip should have been all about. And, um. And I learned, you know what, this journey wasn't for me. This journey was for people to, when I talk about experience, strength, and hope, of sharing my experience and and hoping other people would feel they're not alone, 
But I also became a vessel for people to share their story to me, to let go, to, um, I think we tend to bottle up our feelings and are afraid to express it. And for some reason, when I shared mine, it would allow them to share theirs. And I have met caregivers, survivors, um, even people who just got divorced. Um, ironically, you know, I've also learned, you know, when you talk about grieving, grieving, you never stop grieving. And the way I explain it when people ask me about it, um, it comes in waves. You know, have you ever surfed? You know what surfing is like? No. Well, when you learn how to surf, you have to learn how to balance on a surfboard with the wave coming at you. So in the beginning, you know, those waves are pounding at you. And so the analogy, I, and as you learn how to surf, it gets easier every time the wave comes along as you learn how to balance on the surfboard, get up on the surfboard and ride it and all that. Grieving is the same way. It never go away, but it gets easier over time to learn how to handle the wave of grief that comes through. And, you know, it could be a test, a smell, or a memory, something that will trigger it. But once you learn how to ride with it, it gets easier to deal with. What do you know about life now? that you didn't know before? Life is, life is precious. Life should be, I have a friend who had this great poem called Driven by Death. You're living life because of death. You gotta live, I, I think the biggest thing for me that life is too short to worry about the petty stuff. You know, um, worry what people think about you, worry about what you have and you don't have and worry about right now, this moment, not about what happened yesterday, what's going to happen tomorrow. you got to live in the moment. And, um, you know, one of the things that trip I learned about, it was, I live cheaper on the road than I do living at home. It's really ironic because people think, oh, I got to have this much money saved set aside in order to do this trip, to take this long vacation. Or my favorite, <laughs> Ted Simon and I used to butt head all the time. <laughs> and I thought in the beginning, I thought he hated me. <laughs> <laughs> I really did. And, you know, because we would butt head. Because my thing is, you know, everybody thinks they got to travel the world. No, we have so much in our own backyard. Um, and that we have so much beauty in our own backyard. There's so much to see here before you can even go to see the world. And, and he and I would butt heads. And in the end, after we, we talk about it, he thought, I'm only doing that just to pick your brain. I'm like, oh, okay. Because <laughs> 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 I want to make you think. I go, I already do think. I think too much sometimes. <laughs> and, you know, that's the other thing I learned. You don't have to have a lot of money. You don't have to have this. You know, in the beginning, I had this year long trip, I was going to do this in a year and I was going to, you know, I tend to be anal sometimes. Russ and I were the yin and yang. He's the, the, um, free spirited, the spontaneous guy. Me, I'm the planner. I, you know, I, I, I'm a number girl, you know, I, I plan things. I, I have everything has a flow a logic to what I do. And he's this, this random spontaneous guy who will just sometime on a whim do things. 
And and that's what I loved about him because he was the so opposite of me and just so freeing to not have that structure sometimes. And um, that I'd learned how to be more like that. I learned to be okay with what I have. And, and to me, you know, short trip is okay. Two weeks. Hey, we need to recharge our energy more often. And we don't, people don't take vacation. Don't people don't take sick days and they so worried about what everybody else may think. And you need to recharge your energy. You need to be okay to, I'm getting off thy track here. I grew up in a household. It wasn't okay to show an emotion. So when I lost my husband, it was very hard for me to show that to people. It was very hard for me to cry in front of people. It, which is not good sometimes because then you bottle it up and it becomes, you can get sick from that. And um, now I learned it's okay. It's okay to say, excuse me, you know what? I need to step aside. Give me a moment. So I can just let it out. It's okay to miss somebody and be angry. Oh. I did not know you, it's okay to be angry at somebody dying. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's, I, I know I shouldn't laugh and it sounds weird, but I think we forget to, to express our feeling and to be okay with our feeling. And I, I've learned that now. It's okay. You know, you've got to let it go. It's healthy. You have to cry. You have to get angry. You have to be happy. You have to laugh at yourself for stupid things, you know? but just human. And life is finite, isn't it? I mean, certainly when you have a loss close to you, it really brings it home or, or I don't know, somehow, somehow puts it in your, in your line of thought in a way that you didn't look at it before. Exactly. You see things differently. You really do. Um, you see the little thing. Uh, we get so caught up running to the finish line that we don't see everything that is beside us as we run into the finish line. Um, Sometimes you have to take a detour. Uh, I took a lot of detour. I wish I did more. I really w- did. I was so gun ho on doing these 11 rows. And I still want to finish, do these 11 rows. Um, but I was so gun ho on that, that I didn't take enough detour that I should have. I'm, like on this motorcycle trip, you know, a lot of people are, well, what if you get in an accident? What if you get killed? And then I'll die with the biggest grin on my face, you know? And it's, it's hard for people to fathom that. I... Yeah, I don't wish hospice on anybody. I really don't. And I think that's the hardest thing for me to deal with right now. Um, Watching him suffocate. When you have lung cancer, the analogy the doctor gave me is like somebody drowning. They're gasping for air. They're drowning all the time. And watching that and watching the person that you love, who's always been your rock and your strongest person, deteriorate in front of your eyes. And, um, you know, one point in time during his sickness, he, he was sitting down and he said, kept telling me he was broken. He was broken. And I, I don't wish hospice on anybody. I really don't. Um, so as weird it may sound, if I died in a motorcycle accident, I'm okay with that. I really am. I 
I think that's my biggest fear now is having to be dependent on my children or somebody to take care of me in my final days. Um, and you know what? A lot of people probably will disagree with me and, and want to get every moment they can get. And I may feel differently at the time, but right now, I think that's the hardest part of the journey. What happens next? Well, you know, life didn't turn out at that plan. Um, the, um, I'm back in California and I am engaged. Um, I had a really good friend who helped me get ready for this trip. And um, went, during the entire trip, he's, you know, been supportive, checked on me to make sure I was okay and everything. When I, my hand started physically getting um, unable to hold on to the handlebar. And um, he said, you know what? I have an extra room. Stay here. Recuperate. Figure out what you're going to do with your life. Um, or just to recuperate enough to, till you can get back on the trip. Um, needless to say, I did that. I, and I moved from one bedroom to another. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's been a, um, I've been, I was a very lucky woman because this man is very respectful of us. And he was always supportive of his memory and and honor his memory and um, always make sure that I go to the cemetery to make sure I visit Beth. And, um, and so I, I was not very good at being at a housewife and sitting around trying to figure out what I was going to do. <laughs> and, um, and I kept trying to write that book. You know, everybody's asking me when I'm going to write my book, when I'm going to write my book. And... Um, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time. Uh, I don't, the only thing I can think of is that I'm having a hard time because I don't want to close that chapter yet. And um, when I'm ready, I'll write it. When I finish, I got three chapters done, but that's about it. <laughs> uh, so because I was bored, um, the, a competitor of a company that I used to work for sought me out. And so I'm, I'm working again. I'm back to doing software implementation and I'm having a good time. It's, it's, it's been fun again. And, and I told him, you know, I need four weeks off a year so I can do my motorcycle presentation, do my motorcycle trip. And they were okay with that. And I said, I don't do more than 40 hours a week. So don't expect me to answer the phone after four o'clock or answer emails on the weekend. Cause I will not do that. And they were good about that. And so I'm reminding myself, you know, Enjoy it, taking life at it, life term, taking it one day at a time, and living life to the fullest. And I, I know Russ. That's what Russ wanted for me because he actually told his sister to make sure <laughs> that I move on again, that I don't hang on to him too tightly. Um, but it's so hard, you know. It's, I wrote about it in one of my blog posts that a, a widow of romantic predicament. So how can you love two people at the same time? And, um, because we at the society say that's a no, no, you can't love two guys at the same time. You know, that's having an affair. Um, but you know what? He's okay with it. I'm learning to be okay with it. 
So we're just taking it as it goes. Well, I want to, before we, we wrap things up, I, I want to ask you about your bike. Okay. Um, so tell me about the TW200. Um, how's it set up for travel? Well, what I did was, um, like I said, we changed out the gears, the socket went smaller so it could handle the speed. And um, we adjust the piston a little bit too. Um, but I had a, a another TW built a custom rack for my bike. And it's kind of like the the cycle rack rack, um, the company out there called cycle rack, but we added extra support to handle the weight of my, the gears. And I originally went with the Nelson rig pannier system. Um, soft but panniers. Over, yeah, soft panniers. Um, but over time, because of the heat and the stress that, that material started stretching and my bag kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So the Nelson rig was not a, a viable, uh, system for my trip. So I, ha- um, another guy who, um, custom built a hard pannier system for it. And we built it to go onto the, um, the rack that got custom built for me. And so I had a top, a top tail bag, two, t- um, hard pannier bag and then a little tank bag. And, you know, during the trip, I probably shipped stuff back like three times because <laughs> you overpack because you think you need a half fit. <laughs> And so I'm like, no, that doesn't work. No, that doesn't work. I don't need that. And, you know, you just learn. I mean, I've read every book. I read Andrew Payne's book about lightweight travel and stuff. And then you still, you know, you still think you need to prepare for every type of adventure. And since I was traveling in the United States, I can get whatever I need, really, technically. Sure. Um, so. I wasn't really in any place that I was out of range or out of cell service, except for maybe some parts of Montana and Wyoming, but um, there was never a place where I could not get something. So I think, you know, when you read all those books and stuff, and it's a great, useful tool, and I recommend reading all of those and get as much information, but you learn over time, it's really trial and error and until what works for you. It may work for somebody else, but it may not work for you. Um, so, and that's how basically I had everything. You know, I had the tent. I, I had a little cot, those little small cot thing that you put together every time to keep me off the ground. Um, I have another story. <laughs> um, I was in Havre, Montana, and I had the tent. The tent I was using it was Russ's tent that he used for on his horseback trip. And so, I used that tent, you know, memories and something part of him on this adventure. And it was an, an REI rental tent that, you know, he bought after so many times they sell them out. And it was a great tent until I got to Hobby, Montana. So it was 4th of July. It was actually going to be three years. Yeah. No, two years ago today. So it's ironic I tell you this story. Two years today, I was in Hobby, Montana. And one of the greatest um, sorts of camping is fairground. People don't know that. Fairground have uh, campsite, and it's really, really cheap. It's like $5 a night or $10 a night. 
I've never had one more than $10 a night at the fairground. Yeah, I didn't and, know that because that's one thing. If you check out some of the campsites, it can be really expensive, you know, $40, $50. At least in Canada, they can be $40, $50 for the night. It's like, that's a lot of money. Yeah, and well, I was doing this in high season too. So trying to get campsite was also a challenge too because everybody's out camping. And in the KOAs, they're kind of expensive. I I used them because they were a great source of, you know, laundry mats and, and places to charge up and all that stuff. But Fairground is awesome. They have, almost every one of them have campsite there. Um, sometimes only for RV. Some will let you just camp out on their field, which is fine. And I thought, I'm killing two birds with one stone because the fireworks show is at the fairground. Hey, and Harvey, Montana is known for the famous um, buffalo jump where the, all the, the Indian drove the buffaloes over the cliff. Mm-hmm. That story, that's Harvey, Montana. So I thought I was going to check that out the next day. And so I set up my tent. The weather called for a storm coming in. Um, the, they were calling for 15, 20 miles an hour wind, which is nothing. That's normal here in the high desert. We live with that <laughs> all the time. No big deal to me. I'm like, but I'm at the fairground. I'm like, oh, it's going to rain, which is no big deal. I got the tent. But I thought, oh, these 4-H buildings. There was lots of 4-H building with awning. And I said, you know, I'm going to just set my tent under there. At least I'll be dry. No big deal. Set it all up. Had my dinner. And, of course, Montana don't get dark until, like, almost 10 o'clock at night. And so I walked out to the field where they were setting off the fireworks. And well, everybody's standing there waiting for it to go off. All of a sudden, the sirens went off, which means the tornado sirens were going off. I was like, holy crap. I know I'm on there. Holy crap. Um, I run back to my tent, and I see my tent sliding already. And I'm like, shit. So I jump in, and I'm sitting there. I don't know if it's a tornado. It's just the wind was starting to pick up. I... And I had those inflatable lights. Those worked wonder, too. If you ever get those, those inflatable solar power light mm-hmm. they'll, they'll light up the entire tent um to get those lanterns stuff those inflatable things awesome my favorite part of the my favorite equipment of the trip <laughs> <laughs> i had that in there and i all of a sudden i'm getting pounded by the hail i mean it, it's hitting me in the back i'm my mind going oh, what did i get myself into oh my god what am i going to do how am i going to deal with it I, I, I can't tell you all the thoughts that went through my head. I just, I was actually scared. I think the only time I was scared in my life. And I was never scared in Baja. People thought I should have been, but I wasn't. Um, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. And the cop, the only reason the cop saw me, because I had that inflatable light in my tent. So he pulled up. I opened up the tent a little bit. He said, I'm just going to pull in front of you, see if we can ride it out. And at least I can block some of the wind off of you. Well, when the ha- the hail started getting worse and his windshield started breaking. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. And I, I remember being pissed at him because he's yelling at me, stay in your tent. I'm going to call for help. I'm like, um, easy for you to say because you're sitting in the dry truck and I'm getting, I mean, I got bruises on my back from the hail. Wow. And it, it was hurting that bad. And um, he said, I'm calling for help. Some fairground maintenance crew came with their truck, and the, the four of us just tore down my camp as fast as we could. I mean, we barely, we just took the poles out, folded everything up, threw it in the back of the pickup truck, and um, he took me to 
the nearest hotel and they put me up for the night for free. We had no power by then. The power finally went out and they said, you know, we're going to let you stay here, but don't close your door. You have to keep your door open because I didn't realize this hotel. When the power go out, the doors don't work. Oh, right. So, really, you know, and I, I, I was grateful, dry bed. I just spread out my gear everywhere in the hotel. The next day, um, talking to the staff, they said they didn't get a tornado, but they had 80, 90 miles an hour wind. Yeah. And um, they actually called for nobody to travel that day. They actually shut down the town because all the power poles had fallen over on the road and they didn't know which wire was still live and which one were not. And they were trying to do the cleanup. And I said, that's fine with me. She said, don't worry, we're not going to charge you. You're welcome to stay. Awesome. You know, great community. And um, I said, I still need to dry everything out anyway. And it was really cool. It's a small town. I don't, I think the population is only like three to 4,000 people at the most. So the next night, because everything got damaged from the firework, got damaged from the, um, the storm. So everybody brought their own back the next night in the parking lot of the fairground and just started lighting fireworks. And we had 4th of July on July 5th. And, you know, the, 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 everybody just rallied together and just celebrated. So the next day, I finally went on my trip, set up my tent. You know those the 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 poles that you set up your tent with. You know how straight they are. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to bend them, right? Yeah. It it warped those poles into a U shape. Wow. And the only way I can keep my tent up was taking stake and you know hold making it for somewhat a square tent. So my brother bought me another tent and had it shipped out to me so I can have a tent again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lucky, very lucky, really. Yeah. I really was. I really was. Considering I had bruises on my back from the hail, my tent was warped. I mean, those poles are hard to bend. It was in a U shape, those poles. That's just like, I, I sat through that. <laughs> Crazy. What advice or tips would you offer or could you offer to a, another motorcyclist who's considering doing something? Um, just do it. And be flexible, you know, um, and make sure you're physically fit. You know, I think one of the things I learned, I, I thought the hardest part of my trip was going to be emotionally, but actually the physical toll that it took on my, on me, that it's the, the hardest pill for me to swallow because I still get cabin fever. I'm looking out the window all the time going, okay, where can I go? When can I go again? Um, and just do it. Gina Marie, great to talk. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jim, for uh, having me on your show. It's truly an honor that you wanted me to be a part of your great radio station with all those great people you had on there. I, I'm just in awe. I'm honored. Thank you. And that was Gina Marie Austin from twowheels2feet.com. And of course, that link and a bunch of other photos and things will be in our show notes.
Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. And the Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll fill your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. It's made in the USA, and it comes with a lifetime warranty. www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. And that has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com The MotoBreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm, which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil. www.motobreeze.com. That's two eyes in there. www.motobreeze.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener. Thank you very much. Remember, you can listen to all the episodes that we do here for free. Drop by the website, www.adventureriderradio.com. Download what you like. Look at the show notes. we got pictures in there and some other things. And don't forget, drop by our Facebook page. Like our Facebook page. We are on Facebook. Just search for Adventure Rider Radio. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. No excuses. See you next week. Hi, this is David Huff. Um, I'm a motorcycle journalist of many years, and uh, uh, I'm talking to you on Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 